Hey everyone, I thought it would be beneficial to continue on with the study of love that I started a while ago. Uh, it's an in-depth study on 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8, going through each attribute that Paul lists about godly love and uh, how we should think about each attribute rather than just thinking of it in a list. Because when we think of lists, it's, it's great for memorization, but then we really need to break apart that list in order to actually understand what's being asked of us or what the expectation is when we embody that that thing that's being described. So with godly love, pretty important thing to embody as we draw closer and closer to um, becoming more and more like God. And so I thought it'd be really beneficial to go through each of these attributes one at a time so that uh, we can kind of examine ourselves, find out where we fall short, and maybe look at each attribute a little bit differently to see uh, what facets of it we might be missing. So if you haven't checked out any of the episodes in the rest of this study, I highly recommend you go back and do that. Um, not just because I want you to listen to the podcast, but because in the course of doing this study, I'm taking out the qualities of godly love that Paul lists and kind of analyzing them one at a time. But then in order to do really effective Bible study, you kind of have to put it back in the context of Scripture um, to really understand what's being spoken about. So a lot of these attributes and qualities... Um, mixed together and um, bear on one another quite a bit. So I might have mentioned something in a previous episode uh, in this study that might affect your understanding of something that I'd say in the future about a, a different quality of love. So if you do want to check out those episodes, um, it should be pretty easy on YouTube. I have playlists. Um, one playlist is my interviews and the other playlist is this study of love. So you should be able to click on playlists and find the rest of the episodes pretty easily. On the other streaming platforms, it is a little bit more difficult um, just because I've done them at different times. This has kind of ended up being the study that I've done kind of going long term. I can't really focus in on this topic every single day and just kind of grind it out. I My mind just gets grabbed by other things and I find other things important or something topical happens that I want to cover. So um, I, I've really kind of relegated this to when I have the time, I want to really do it justice. So um, I have spread them out over time. But if you type in, truth be told, um, Micah Gunn, and then study of love somewhere in the uh, search bar, that should bring up all of the episodes because I've titled them all the same. So go ahead and listen to the rest of those for those of you that haven't. But for those of you that have and remember my last episode on Love Does Not Boast, you might think today we're gonna we're gonna go over uh, love is not puffed up, and you might think well these two things boasting and not being puffed up are, are kind of the same thing, and even in a lot of translations this portion is not puffed up, is kind of marked as an added portion in the sentence structure. So it says love does not boast is not puffed up, almost as if it just modifies that original characteristic and isn't something separate. However, I really, really think that each portion of this is important and not just as a modifier. Modifiers are important, but I think is not puffed up is a, is a characteristic um, that is worth going through on its own. Because in, in a lot of the parts of this set of verses, you have interrelated things, but they're kind of like facets of a diamond. You, you need to have those facets. You need to turn it in this way and that way because that's what actually gives the diamond its beauty and that's what gives the verse its fullness. So I think by going over this, even though to some it might seem like, well, that's very similar to love does not boast, 
and it might just be a modifying word, I think it does offer us a fuller picture of what godly love really does look like. And as proof of this, I think we can actually just look uh, earlier on in the verse where it says, love suffers long and is kind. In English, that translation seems like and is kind is kind of a a throw on or, or, or an additional phrase that isn't its own characteristic, but just kind of modifies that original suffering long. But this, I think, is a prime example of how the different facets kind of play off of each other and are really, really important when you interconnect them. Because this example, love suffers long and is kind, goes from almost a passive thing that love does, being, you know, suffering long, kind of speaking to an endurance, and then it flips it and it says this active thing is also necessary. So you, you don't just bear with other people, you look for ways to show them kindness. So it's two parts of something very similar, and I would say suffering long it is a way to show kindness to somebody, but again, it's not just endurance, it is um, an active kindness you want to look to show people. Now, when we looked at love suffering long in that episode, I think we do come to this realization that it is a very active thing. I, I use this word, um, active and passive, um, and maybe that's not the greatest term for it, but uh, it is an active thing, this suffering long, in that you have to choose to undergo this. But logistically speaking, something has to happen to you first in order for you to endure it or bear with it or suffer long through it, whereas kindness is an action that you have to look for opportunities to take. So it's it's kind of like in the law of God, you have these very active commands and then also logistically, not they're not passive uh, overall, but logistically, you have passive commands. You have commands that say, do this, and then you have commands that say, don't do this. Now, you still have to do both things. Um, an example that comes to mind of this is if you think of someone struggling with like a drug addiction, and well, God commands that we not be slaves to anything but him, and so it's a passive command not to engage in this kind of activity, but someone addicted to drugs will tell you that they actively have to work to not do whatever that thing is. So when I say active and passive, I want to be clear that I don't mean one is easy and one is hard or one is greater and one is less. This is just, there's not really a better term for it, at least that I thought of. So here in this section, when we're talking about boasting and being puffed up, it does kind of go from this active uh, element to passive or I'd actually, you know what, rather I'd like to say external to internal. So don't boast, but don't even allow yourself to be puffed up internally, which might lead to boasting. And I think this follows a cool pattern that Christ uses in Matthew 5. Um, I think this should really speak to those who believe that Christ in the New Testament is all about emotional love and that the God of the Old Testament seems to be all about legalism. Um, because you can't really separate the law from love. They're, they're both of God, and the law's entire purpose is love. But here in Matthew 5, you have Christ elevating certain commands that we take very literally and saying we have to be even more careful of the root of these problems. And you think back in history, you have the Jewish people returning from exile in Babylon, and they were so nervous to break the law. They recognized that they were kind of spared their identity um, Israel went into captivity in Assyria and got scattered everywhere. They lost their identity, but Judah maintained their identity because they kept a portion of God's law. So they really valued the law of God, 
The problem is they were so nervous to break that law that they started setting up their own rules that were meant to be barriers around what God instructed them to do so that they wouldn't inadvertently break any of his commands. And I think initially this was started in in good faith with good intentions, but you find out in Jesus' time that they kind of drew the lines around the wrong things because they were breaking the heart of the law without even really knowing it. Um, They were permitted to hate, but not permitted to commit murder, permitted to lust, but not to commit adultery, Um, actively sought money um, for the temple funds, but then refused to care for the poor. They would rest from their own work on the Sabbath, but they refrained from participating in God's work of showing love to your brother. So Christ in Matthew 5 that we're about to go through, he doesn't add to the law. He's getting back to the heart of the law. And this verse in Matthew 5 where Christ does this um, starts kind of in, in verse 21, but goes all the way through the end of the chapter, really. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old. Notice he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old. This is prime example of Christ not pointing back to the the Pentateuch or the Torah. He is pointing back to these additional laws added by the elders in Judah who came back from the exile and really didn't want to break the law. So this is an oral tradition that was added later. But he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So here he elevates um, the law to not say it's just about your action, but it's also about your heart as well and where that's at because your heart is the thing that God reads and knows and it is also the thing that will lead you to sin. So he, he kind of is actually being harsher on them than they were themselves. But he does this here with murder. He does it with um, adultery, saying even if you lust after a woman, you're committing adultery in your heart. Um, and then he keeps on going in 43 And it says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. So it's, it's not enough to just love your neighbor. You also have to love your enemy. So Christ is elevating, uh, everything that the Jews believed they were doing by keeping the law and saying, you're keeping it outwardly maybe, but in your hearts, you lack so much. And I see Paul doing this same thing here in first Corinthians. You have to refrain from boasting but you have to remove your ability to boast from within your heart in order to actually stop the sin. Internal sin is is still sin. And we got to make no mistake here. This is hard. This is a really, really hard thing to do. It's as simple as saying something like, be humble. But then as humans, once we experience a time of humility, we can very, very easily become prideful about our humility. So uh, we have to really focus on the internal as well. Okay, so puffed up, what does this mean? Um, If it's something we want to not be or not embody because we're trying to become more like God who is love, then we should know what it is so that we can avoid it. And I think this word has some really, really good imagery to it, which makes it easy to understand, but also because it's not part of our everyday speech, um, we can oftentimes think we know exactly what it means, but then just skip over it. Um, But it still doesn't hurt to do some quick word study to see what we can pull out from the rest of scripture. Um, I think this is one of the best ways to do word studies where you look up a word or you, you come across a word and you look at all the different ways that it's used in the Bible. Oftentimes we want to look at the word and then just rely on a concordance and say, oh, it could mean any one of these things that the concordance lists. And that is 
just honestly not true. But if you have a word that comes up 50 times in the Bible and all 50 times it's used in a certain way, okay, well, you can be confident that it's um, probably that interpretation. But if you have a word that's used three times and all three times it's used in a different way, you might have to do a little bit more digging to figure out what's being spoken about in a certain verse if you still have questions about it. So I think this is a really good way to do um, do word studies. But if you look up this word for puffed up, the Greek word is physiute. And even though certain forms of this word exist other places and are also translated puffed up sometimes, this is the only place that this exact word is used. So you're not going to get this exact word used a hundred times, so you can see how it's used majority of the time. Um, it's just not going to happen with this word. But you do have the root of this word used several times in Paul's writing specifically, and it is always associated with pride. So this word uh, relates to something being filled with air, and I think it's pretty cool that this is an analogy that we've maintained for all these years that is still very relatable. You know, you can say someone's full of hot air or even I think the term uh, they have a big head. I think that really relates to this as well. Uh, or we talk about someone that um, is on a high horse and they've kind of like conflated themselves into being some some grand thing. So it's pretty cool that this analogy has lasted all throughout this time. I think that's that's really, really neat and allows it to be relatable to us. So we got to ask ourselves, why though? Why can love not be prideful? Why can it not be puffed up? If you're not boasting or you're not acting arrogant, then why is it an issue for some of these thoughts of self-importance to be in your head? And I think on the surface, this might seem like a dumb question because no one really wants to be prideful inherently. Um, but really, we have to ask, why not? Why is this a thing that we all deem to be so detestable? Like across the spectrum of humankind, it seems like pride, um, you know, pride in the sense that you think so highly of yourself, not pride where you're proud of something you've done correctly or done well, but, you know, an, an overinflated sense of ego. Why is this something that we just all across the board deem to be something we don't like or we detest? We, we have to ask ourselves this. Um, especially because I think it's interesting, like God is very aware of his greatness and, you know, we want to be aware of ours as well. So why is that wrong? Or, or where's that level of when it's wrong and when it's right? Um, and of course, it's, it's not wrong to be aware of the things you do well. They're, these are just ditches that people fall into. You can either be prideful on one side or self-deprecating on the other. And often uh, people feel they, can, they can't be even keeled without being self-deprecating. So they live in that ditch for fear of going into the other one. I think we detest pride way more than we detest self-deprecation. And so a lot of people will fall into that that ditch very often. I understand this. I do this a lot too, but this is not the solution. So to answer this question of, of what is the solution, how do we remove this, this air from our hearts or our heads, and why is it important to do so, I'd actually like to go to another verse where this word for puffed up is used um, in a different form of the word using that root. And it's actually contrasted with something else. And I think in this contrast, we're going to gain some clarity on what this thing itself is, what this, this uh, physiute actually is. 
And if uh, you want to go to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, is where Paul uses this again, just earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. So it's interesting because this word uh, twice is in this book of 1 Corinthians. So we can have some sort of um, good indication that when Paul talks about being puffed up here and in 1 Corinthians 13, he's probably using it in a very similar way because he's talking to the same people and um, speaking to some of their, their flaws. So he says this in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. He says, now concerning things offered to idols, which just as a little bit of backstory was a huge deal in Corinth. Um, you had people that came from a pagan uh, background where eating meat offered to idols was normal. And then when they came into the church, um, they really felt that they had to disassociate. They had to remove themselves from that scenario. Other people who had been Christians for longer probably didn't see an issue with it because they started in Judaism and had really no problem with meat offered to a stone statue if the meat was cheap and, and good and available. So you have these uh, stronger-minded Christians and weaker-minded Christians that Paul talks about. Not that one is good and one is bad, but in this area, some people found this to be a stumbling block and a struggle. And so he talks about this quite a bit. Um, so he says here, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So same book, writing to the same people. Um, obviously, it's kind of a bit of a different topic in the sense that one is um, an issue that Corinth is facing. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, when he goes over godly characteristics of love, he's kind of talking to the solution of you know, how to bear with one another in that problem. But he talks about here being puffed up. So notice what he says, though. Knowledge puffs up but love edifies. Now, I hate when people use this to say that knowledge is unimportant or it's evil in some way because it's absolutely not. We are supposed to be growing in grace and knowledge. This is not an excuse to say, stay ignorant um, on certain topics or act like someone who is actively learning and studying and excited about the word of God and then sharing it with people. We should not be saying that these are, are prideful people. Um, just because it says here that knowledge puffs up. That's simply not true. Claiming understanding of something is not arrogance. It is diligence in study. The thing is, though, is that this can turn into arrogance and pride. And why is that? I would say it is because of the motivation. It says here, love edifies. But this word edifies is, it basically means builds up. It's the same word when it talks about those who build the houses on the rock and also that build those ho the houses on the sand, full disclosure. But Paul uses this in other places where it's tra translated strengthened or emboldened. And so it has to do with um, a building up. And I think this shows a twofold part of what love does. It builds up others, which is why there's no room for some overinflated self-importance, but it also builds us up. I think pride is an attempt to believe ourselves to be or, or show ourselves to be something important. We desire to be something which is, it's a good desire. We should desire to do good works and have a good name before people and um, be looked at as respectable and decent. That, that's being a light and reflecting God's light to other people. But Pride is the process by which we accomplish that in the absolute wrong way. It actually reminds me of this verse 
in Proverbs 25, and it's Proverbs 25, 27. It, it's not going to seem like it connects at all, but it does remind me of this. It said, it is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. So this is talking about, um, you know, eating much honey is kind of indulging in something for self. It's like, oh, I, I want that because it tastes good or seems good to me, but it's actually not good for you. And it says, so to seek one's own glory, which it's not wrong. God kind of put into us a desire to be glorified and to glorify him in some way, but to seek one's own glory is not actually glory. So you're going through the wrong process to get the thing that isn't necessarily wrong to want. And I think the same thing is happening here when it says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love builds up while knowledge puffs up. So you're you're trying to be up in the end. You're trying to be um, at some greater stature, but how you go about doing that is very, very important. If it's you know knowledge for knowledge's sake or to lord your knowledge over people, that is not okay. But love won't do that. It builds up in the correct way, and it's a good desire. So uh, I think I just came up with this analogy. I think it's a little bit stupid, but maybe it um, makes the makes the point a little bit clear. Um, I think of it like a bouncy castle versus an actual castle. They're just they're built different. And if you look at a bouncy castle, picture like a bouncy castle, not like a girly little princess one with bright fancy colors and everything, but they have some that they are like they they look like castles and they're pretty impressive. And they could have these cool facades on the outside that really look like stone, um, but inside, again, it's just a bouncy castle. So they might be as tall as one another. They might have a similar outside, but they're just not the same. If you want a place to actually live, you choose the actual castle, the more established one, the strong one. And so you've got love like a stronghold, and you have pride like a bouncy castle. And I understand the, the desire to want a place to be in. I understand the desire to want a, a standing structure that is tall and impressive, but these things are not built the same. They do not net the end result that, you, that you're looking for. So in this verse overall, you do go from this external, which is do not boast, which we covered in, in a previous episode, to the internal, which we've been talking about today. It's, it's not puffed up. And I think this also uh, implies the inverse. Not only is love not puffed up, but instead it builds up which is a benefit to others. You build others up and it's okay to build yourself up on behalf of others. And this is all because it establishes something real. That's why this is so important. And I'll tell you what, it, it's absolutely amazing to me how much you can get out of God's word. I think doing studies like this can run the risk of doing a lot of eisegesis and adding your own ideas to scripture. Um, I don't believe we've done that here. We've just lifted this sub-instruction of love not being puffed up out of a larger set of instructions on how we should be because they are qualities of how God is. And we've analyzed it to kind of draw out the fuller implications. But it's so funny because I started this study because there are so many lists in the Bible. And I already spoke to this earlier, but they're fantastic for memorization. But if all we've done is lodge the word in our mind and we don't actually meditate on them or mull them over or wrestle with them a little bit, um, with how to understand what was spoken and how to apply these things to our lives, then 
we've kind of made fluff out of God's word and, and that's not okay. But breaking up each part of this verse apart, it, it allows us to really zero in on each part and then realize where we struggle or fall short at various times in our lives. But if you think about it, we took four English words, is not puffed up. It's only two words in the Greek. And we're able to study it for this long. And hopefully there's more to say. I don't believe I've covered everything here uh, that there's under, to understand about love not being puffed up. But it's a lot already. And that's why I find this study so interesting because, you know, I've kind of done it um, in my free time in between episodes that I'm like really, really excited about. This has kind of been the one that... Um, I want to study, but it's not often the most exciting. But once I get into it, I'm like, wow, there is so much here. And I just think that's really cool. It's so interesting because the Bible does this awesome thing along with my own understanding where it will expand and expand until I realize just how unknowable the depth of it is. And then it also contracts into simple statements like do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord your God. So in in this study, we've done a microcosm of that. We expand out the depth of meaning that can be found in one characteristic of godly love that we're supposed to conform to and embody, and then we contract it back into its statement, now loaded with meaning, love is not puffed up. Like That's a very simple thing to remember, but we've done all this expansion work to try and understand exactly what that phrase means. So hopefully when you come back across this scripture, Um, each one of these characteristics stands out and you can go through your own mental checklist of what each one means so that you can see how you're doing in that area because that's that's really the goal. Um, I want want to be able to use these studies for myself and hopefully you can use them as well as as a tool to measure ourselves up against certain attributes of love which God is so we can see how closely we're resembling him as we grow closer to him. That's really the goal for every Christian. So anyways, that's all I have for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. Uh, Until next time, keep on reading your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Thanks so much.